Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is A Closer Look with Arthur Levitt. Arthur Levitt is a former chairman of the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, a Bloomberg LP board member, a senior advisor to the Promontory Financial Group, and a policy advisor to Goldman Sachs. This is A Closer Look at Eva Moskowitz. She was born in New York City, graduated from Stuyvesant High School. From 1999 to 2005, she served on the New York City Council, chairing the Education Committee. And in 2006, she founded her first charter school, Harlem Success Academy. Today, the Success Academy Network is the largest and best-performing public charter school network in New York City, with 47 schools serving 17,000 students. She joins me now for a closer look. You attended Stuyvesant, one of New York's best public high schools. Was your experience a good one, and does your desire to change our schools come from that experience? Well, it was a good experience in some ways. My father went to Stuyvesant. My uh, husband went to Stuyvesant. But my primary influence for the work that I do now was really uh, growing up in Harlem, going to District 5 schools, and seeing that... When the schools are not of high quality, unless you have a parental backstop plan, you can end up in some not very good uh, places. Public schools you know, are supposed to be liberators, supporting academic upward mobility and economic upward mobility. And unfortunately, in many neighborhoods, they have become discriminators. If you are assigned to a failing school, your chances of getting out and making it are very much diminished. And that inequity, that lack of opportunity, uh, really uh, led me to uh, first become an elected official and really work on the issue of education and then start uh, success academies. Tell us about the beginning. You won a seat on the New York City Council chairing the Education Committee. What happened between this and founding your first charter school, Harlem Success Academy? Sure. Well, I first spent uh, close to seven years uh, trying to improve district schools and uh, I served on the city council before mayoral control, so there was still a board of education with members on that board, and it was really hard to improve. I was very concerned about art education and music education. I held hearings on procurement, uh, on science education, uh, trying to make the New York City district school system 
uh, more responsive to ordinary uh, parents and teachers uh, and educators. And it was just really, really challenging to move the needle. So um, I decided rather than spending all of my energy trying to fix a system that was broken, what if by founding Success Academy, what if I could get to educational nirvana for children? What if I could make a better system of public education and really reimagine a free, great public education for kids? So I started Harlem One in late August of 2006. Today, there are nearly 50 Success Academy schools, K through 12, educating close to 17,000 children. How do you get your success? What is there about your program that makes your students excel? Well, as you know, uh, education is complex, and there are many factors, uh, many ingredients to great schools. But I would start with we have created loving and nurturing school communities where every teacher knows every child's name. And really, our schools are educational communities where there is a great deal of attention to the joy of learning and engagement. I think somewhere along the line, educators forgot uh, that we cannot treat children as a captive audience. We have to treat children as if they had a choice whether to be there or not. And we've really got to look at schools from the child's point of view. Is it interesting? Is it engaging? Are we asking really good questions? Are we meeting them where they're at? Uh, struggling students might be at one place, but students who are flying high might be at another place, and schools have to meet all those children where they are and move them north. I would also say our success is the investment we make in the adults, whether they be teachers or assistant principals or principals. We have probably the most robust training center and set of courses uh, for the professional development of educators. Eva, let me ask the obvious question. Why shouldn't we spend this energy and creativity and money that's going into charter schools on fixing the public schools instead? Well, we obviously should continue to try and fix uh, the district schools. We just have been doing it for a half a century, and parents need immediate relief. If um, I'm the mother of three, uh, my children are teenagers now, but when they were little, if you have a five-year-old, you can't wait a decade until the system improves. You need a good kindergarten classroom right now. And so what the charters do is provide excellence immediately. And that is an important addition to the ecosystem. And we can't be against alternatives that are working right now that are free and excellent. Well, I've seen data that shows that charter schools do not harm district schools. 
But is there a case that you are diverting resources from public schools and leaving them with the troubled students? Well, not only are the charters not diverting resources, charters in New York City, for example, get $5,000 less per child than the district. So I believe in funding parity, so I don't think it should be this way. But they're certainly not harming the district economically. They're actually providing needed relief at the moment. In terms of who they're serving, the enrollment is by random lottery, and they are by and large reflective of the communities in which they are located in terms of special needs children, in terms of homeless children, in terms of economically disadvantaged children. Uh, It's not a perfect apples-to-apples comparison because even within a district, you can have wide disparity uh, in demographics, but they are by and large reflective of the neighborhoods in which the schools are located. Have you tried to work with the public schools to share your best ideas? Can charter schools and public schools work together? Yes, I do work with district schools, both here in New York and all over the country, uh, not only sharing for free our uh, content and curriculum, but we have something called uh, the Success Academy Ed Institute, which is sort of a school for schoolers. And we do training every year for teachers, for assistant principals, even for superintendents. We also have something called the Ed Partnership Entity, which does tours and kind of pulls back the curtain on what are some of the key elements of a highly successful school. I know that Mayor Bloomberg was supportive of the Harlem Success Academy. Is uh, Mayor de Blasio and Governor Cuomo, are they equally supportive of what you're doing? Well, Mayor Bloomberg certainly was not just of the first school, but of charters in general. And we certainly wouldn't be at nearly 50 schools without his deep commitment. The governor has also been supportive of charters. Mayor de Blasio, unfortunately, not so much. In fact, he's been quite hostile. In 2014, he threw out three of our schools, and we had to really fight back and ensure that uh, Success Academy children and families had access to buildings. He ultimately kind of abandoned his kind of wacky scheme of hurting charter kids and families. But it's been sort of post-2014, it's really been just he's resisted at every turn. He is very, very closely allied with the teachers union, and they're not big fans of charter. But also, I think he has a worldview. I don't think it's personal. I think he has a worldview that the only way to educate children is through big government. And, you know, that might have been true in the 1970s, but things have changed quite a bit since uh, that time. Public charter schools are one of many reform strategies where 
you know, we over the course of the 13-year period have become the seventh largest district in the state of New York. Uh, you could never do that in the district bureaucracy. It would just take too long, too much money. You could maybe accomplish that in a hundred year period. But charters are a third way of doing things that immediately benefit children and teaching and learning. And, and he's kind of threatened by that. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Do you think the current education secretary is effective? I'm told you were disturbed when she admitted that she hadn't visited any struggling schools during her whole tenure. I think it has not been super effective, but you do have to understand that education is a local and state matter. Uh, The federal government has a limited impact. Obviously, they have purse strings and can make certain investments, but most of how you deliver the service is a local and state matter. Some former teachers, Eva, of yours have complained that test prep always comes first, narrowing the kind of work students do. Is this just being practical? Test success is how we get measured in life, like it or not. Well, we have a very rich broad curriculum that goes far beyond, frankly, the New York State tests, which are not very rigorous these days. So we expect our students to read poetry broadly and nonfiction and do science five days a week starting in kindergarten. Our students do about 135 experiments every study, major scientific concepts. In middle school, they do four years of history, world history in fifth, uh, two years of American history through World War II, and then they spend a year on post-1945 American history, reading primary source documents every single day. So our curriculum is, is quite broad. In high school, our kids take 
economics, statistics, mechanical and electrical engineering. It's a broad liberal arts education with a tremendous emphasis on science and mathematics. Yes, we do believe that kids should be prepared for the test, but it's much, much broader than that. There are complaints that the atmosphere at the schools is too strict and unforgiving. Now, I've heard you say that it may feel restrained or restrictive and go on to say no one's going to be checking and supporting you. Do you think you expect too much or do the kids rise to the bar that you set? I do believe that kids should say please and thank you to the lunch ladies and should behaviorally respect one another. There shouldn't be fights in schools or food fights in the cafeteria. We really believe in protecting everyone's right to learn in the classroom. Look, Arthur, it's very recent that mayhem was acceptable for most of American history, and I say that as a professional historian. The expectation was that classrooms were orderly and there was a level of civility in the classroom. It's only very recently where that becomes uh, an outlier expectation. And we have found that success that kids rise to the occasion, parents really appreciate the order and civility, and it, it sets the foundation for learning. Very hard to learn when paper airplanes are going in every direction across the classroom. Is that what's going on in most of the classrooms in this part of the world? Well, many teachers in the district system will tell you that it's extremely hard to teach because there is so much chaos in the classroom and that mayhem is a real a problem for educators. How do you get around that? Well, we get around it by really teaching our teachers how to do classroom management. It is not the ceiling, but it is the floor of teaching. You have to be able to manage the classroom. And we have pretty big class sizes of 32 in elementary, 34 in middle, and even 36 in high school. And so classroom management becomes just a very important part of the job. But you can't expect teachers to know how to do that. They have to learn a system for doing it. And what it does for teachers is it it frees them up to really listen to kids and pay attention to the intellectual contributions that students are making instead of playing whack-a-mole where they're putting out behavioral fires all day long and not able to really focus on the teaching and learning. And our methodology at Success is quite student-centered. And when you're doing inquiry-based learning, it's even more important than a more traditional approach to pedagogy that the classroom is well-managed because it's even harder with materials and materials management to have chaos in the classroom when you want to have student-centered learning. I've read that your great test scores helped you open more schools faster than any other charter school leader in New York, yet teaching to the test is often criticized. You think we're coming to a day when you won't have to be judged only on test scores? 
We have a world-class chess program. We have a world-class soccer program. We have about 4,000 kids playing soccer. We went to the international competition in Barcelona. We have a first-class debate program. You know, 100% of our kids were accepted to college and off to really, really great places. So I think this notion that we are known for our test scores is really not accurate anymore. But, you know, at the beginning, that was the only sort of external validation of the work we are doing. Eva, Success Academy is a nonprofit network that you've had some of the biggest names in hedge funds behind you. Dan Loeb, Ken Griffin, Paulson, Singer. Why did they get to be involved and why did they want to be involved? I think the hedge fund sector in general disrupted a certain kind of status quo. But I also think that these are individuals who believe deeply in opportunity and the value of education and the injustice of poor kids being trapped by schools that are supposed to be serving them. And so it's just a personal commitment to opportunity that really motivates some of these influential people. What do you know about building and expanding your charter network that you wish you had known when you started? Well, I've learned a lot by trial and error. I didn't initially think, for example, that I was going to have to write our own curriculum in math and science and literacy and history. I thought that you could purchase those things. And, you know, while there are publishing companies that make millions of dollars, I didn't find it, frankly, rigorous enough or engaging enough for our kids. And so I wish I had known that at the beginning because I kept trying these various uh, curriculum uh, to make the thing work. I didn't understand when I started how important the teacher and educator training was going to be and been quite challenging to acquire the resources. It's sort of like you're running schools, but then you're also running a school of education, and that's a difficult. So I wish I had known that. I read that one of the secrets of your success is what you teach. For example, tell us about your own English language arts curriculum. Think literacy. How is that unique? Well, we believe in a poem a day. Our kids are exposed to poetry in kindergarten. We think that it is really powerful to teach close reading and interpretation. Our kids also write poems. We believe that the sort of short, you know, packs a punch, uh, the, the, the brief genre, and kids can learn an awful lot by reading and writing poetry. We also believe in uh, project-based learning, which is interdisciplinary uh, exploration of certain topics. So we do a unit, for example, in second grade on the Brooklyn Bridge which ranges from the engineering of building the bridge to the social history of the time period. 
all of our kids, K through four, do three units of project-based learning every single year. We also believe in the richness of the task. We're big believers that the kinds of questions that educators ask really determine the quality of the learning. And if you ask a low-level question, you're going to get a low-level answer. And so we spend a lot of time and energy uh, creating rich writing tasks. And we find that that alone improves the quality of the writing. I've read about the high quality of the literature the students are expected to read. How do you choose the books that are assigned to students? This is a topic of uh, much debate uh, here at Success. We spend a lot of time and energy curating those lists. And we read uh, voluminously children's literature. I have a team of people here. I used to do it myself. Now I have a team of people where we look at all the Newbery Awards, for example, and we read that literature and we ask ourselves, what is the most high-quality books, including illustrations, that we can put in front of our kids? And we also ask ourselves, what are they interested in? Uh, and what do we think is going to engage our students? Obviously, as the kids ascend the grade, you know, canonical literature that has stood the test of time. You know, our kids are doing a series in high school on the American dream, reading classics like uh, The Great Gatsby, The Scarlet Letter, Death of a Salesman. We find as many uh, great books as we can. And I think that our students find the literature curriculum really engaging. Sir, former New York City council member, founder and CEO of Success Academy Charter Schools, the largest and best performing public charter school network in New York City. If you'd like to hear more of her story, she recently published a memoir, The Education of Eva Moskowitz, about how she became a forward-thinking education entrepreneur. Eva Moskowitz, thanks for joining us. By the way, if you have comments about the show or suggestions for topics, please email me at a closer look at Bloomberg.net. That's a closer look, one word, at Bloomberg.net. And follow me on Twitter at Arthur Levitt, one word. This is A Closer Look with Arthur Levitt. Michael Bloomberg is the founder and majority owner of Bloomberg LP, the parent company of Bloomberg Radio. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.